0: I'm so glad you're back this afternoon. Thank you for staying. And uh, this Bible study, I believe, will be helpful for you, and not just because I'm the one presenting it. The words are comforting to me, and I hope that they'll be comforting to you. I would like to say this about the song that was just led um, and how it can intro the study. You may be tired of the, the anecdotes that I tell about Cambodia, but three years of our life were there, and so it's kind of tied up in our identity. That was the first song that we ever taught a Christian over there, and uh, it's very hard to put it into words. The way I've tried to describe it to folks is that when you live abroad, it's similar to, not identical. But it's similar to serving in the military abroad. You do a tour of duty. And when you come back, a lot of people don't understand what you went through. But there's things that bring, up, that bring up memories of the way you spent your time. And that song, almost every time, it cuts me deep because it reminds me of that afternoon that Bradley and I taught this young lady a song. And, uh, you know, one of the first times we thought this could actually work. You know, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always grateful to hear this song because it does bring that memory back. But just the words and what it's talking about, how these ancient words are preserved for our walk in this world. And they resound with God's own heart. So let these ancient words impart. Uh, I want to impart some of that ancient word to you one last time this afternoon. I hope it's helpful for you. Maybe you've heard this phrase when you were going through a rough patch. Somebody had the best of intentions and they put their hand on your shoulder and they said, you know, God doesn't ever give you anything you can't handle. Or... God will never give you more than you can handle. And I think that that phrase, they they have great intentions. And maybe you've used that phrase. Maybe you had the best of intentions. I know I've used a phrase similar to it. But if you're taking notes and you wrote down this title, God will never give you more than you can handle, uh, make sure you have an eraser because it won't be the title by the end of the study, okay? Now that phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle, I think comes from a, a more or less the spirit of what 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 is saying, but they get it wrong. And so what we try to mean by that phrase is, "Hey, buck up, you can do it. God's not going to give you more than you can handle. You can handle it. Don't worry. But let's look at what 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 actually says, and then we need to process it, make sense of it. And so what we'll do is we'll consider a better understanding of that scripture. And next, we'll consider what a temptation is versus a trial. Or as the New King James will call it, a a tribulation, right? And then finally, we'll ask the question, why would we be given more? Because that in itself kind of seems a little bit unfair, doesn't it? That God would give you more than you can handle. Suddenly now, you know, it seems like, oh, I don't know if if I like this. If it's just going to get dumped on me and I'm not going to be able to handle it. Do I want that in my life? I think you do whether you realize it or not. I think you do want more than you can handle, and we'll answer that question together. But first, let's read 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So the, the premise of this verse is that God is not going to let any of us be tempted beyond what we can bear. Meaning that after you leave this place and you go back to your life, uh, whatever that, that sin is that you might struggle with the most. And all of us have different sins that maybe uh, they, they ensnare us easier than others. Right? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Maybe lust of the flesh is really what gets you, whereas pride of life isn't. Or maybe it's reversed. But God never lets us be tempted beyond what we're able. And so you can see that that is a bit different than this phrase. God will never give you more than you can handle. And so I'm going to go ahead and change the title of this sermon to state this. God will give you more than you can handle. When we're talking about trials and tribulations, God will give you more than you can handle. And this scripture uh, should not be the scripture that we use to talk about that. The scripture that I think best helps me understand it, and I hope it's helpful for you as well, is 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 11. Now, before we get to that, that's the conclusion that we're talking about I think it would be healthy for us to understand the context of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, that God won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, that verse, if you back up one verse, I'd love for you to have a Bible because we're going to be reading uh, the first part of this chapter together. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, what does that have to do with verse 13? Well, I've illustrated it on the board a little bit, and um, I guess I could plug it here. I haven't the whole meeting, but I have a YouTube channel and a, a podcast and a website and a bunch of things under the umbrella of pureandsimplebible.com. And one of the things that I like to do on Pure and Simple Bible the YouTube is make illustrated whiteboard videos and so you're kinda getting a brief example of it but I encourage you to go check it out after services so verse 13 God's not gonna let us be tempted beyond what we're able to bear and he provides a way of escape and then if we were to back up it says uh, be careful lest whenever you stand you actually fall and so we have this illustration here of a guy standing on a little uh, stool and the legs of that school, stool are his pride and arrogance, and be careful because you might fall even though you think you're standing. Well, what's that have to do with this? And what does it have to do with this? Well, let's back up and read it because this will help us understand that. Here, verse one through 11 are gonna make sense to verse 12, and then verse 12 is gonna make sense to verse 13. So let's back up and let's read verses 1 through 11. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Wow. These people had a lot of good stuff. In fact, I would say that, you know, maybe like this little trophy up here, you know, they're the best people in the world. They had Moses, and they got baptized in the sea, and they drank from the spiritual rock. They had so many good things going for them, so many blessings that God had given, and those blessings ended up puffing them up. And even though they had these blessings, they actually fell multiple times into some pretty awful things. He says in verse 5, But with the most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Wow, they had the trophy for uh, best follower of God. And yet they abandoned it because of their pride and they ended up dying. Verse 6 through 11 provide four examples of how they let go of that. It says in verse 6, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Example number one. Do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. The second example, verse 8, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. A third example, verse 9, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. A final example, verse 10, nor complain, Some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the ages have come. You know, they thought they were really great. But a survey of the Old Testament shows that they fell over and over and over again. And so just because they thought they were great... Didn't mean that they were. And so, therefore, he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Because it's easy for us at times, and it was easy for the Corinthians, who the recipients of this letter, it was easy for them to think, we've got Christ. We've got the church. We've got proper worship. We've got all these blessings. So it's easy for us to puff up a little bit. He says... He who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Now, at the conclusion of that, where they look at what they could have, should have, would have been, but then they all fell, and then there's this warning, you know what, you better be careful, because you're going to fall too if you're not careful. The natural conclusion for us is to think, oh, man, what's going to happen when we get tempted? Nobody's going to be able to overcome it. And so this wonderful, beautiful finale is given that God is not going to let you be tempted beyond what you're able. And when you are tempted, he'll even make a way of escape. He did that for them. He didn't let them be tempted beyond what they were able. This is all on them. He gave them a way of escape each time, and they didn't take it. What's going to happen with you? When temptation comes, God will give you a way out. Will you take it or will you not? And friends, I just want to encourage you with this. Don't test God. Don't tempt God. You know, we use this as a silly example, and I will too, but it's not a silly thing. Alcohol is a serious thing. But if your temptation is alcohol, right, then don't tempt God by saying, you know what, I'm not going to drink, but I'm going to go in the bar, because that's where my friends are, and those tasty peanuts on the the bar, I'm going to eat some of those. I'm going to talk to the bartender. I'm going to sit next to my best friend as he's uh, drinking. What are you doing? You're not fleeing temptation. You're courting it. God gave you a way out. He opened the door, and that door was, don't go in there. Go somewhere else. And we can apply this to any temptation we have. Flee it instead of courting it. Now, if, This verse, which we used to say, uh, some people have used it to justify that God's never going to give you more than you can handle, we've now proven that that's really not what that's talking about at all. It's talking about temptation. So before we talk about how we're given more than we can handle, the next thing I want to mention briefly is uh, just asking what's the difference between a temptation and a trial? Because you will be tempted and you will be tried, and God is involved in one of those. And sometimes we assign both of them to God. You know, a, a, a temptation, which is what I have right here, if I could illustrate it. A temptation is when we have a desire for something, we're thinking about it, ooh, this is what I want. I know it's contrary to God's will, but this is what I want. And that desire leads to sin, And sin is like missing the mark. Imagine uh, aiming an arrow at a target and shooting it and then just completely missing the target. That's what sin is. And that sin leads to death. This is the process known as temptation. Is God involved in that? Does God put desires into your mind so that you'll fall from grace? The scriptures will answer that for us in a moment. What is a trial? Well, a trial works a bit differently than this. And I think a great scripture, if you'll read it with me, is Romans chapter 5. It's in the Pew Bible, page number 1734. 1734 in the Pew Bible. And in Romans chapter 5, and we'll read verse 3 and 4. And again, I might use the word trial uh, and the scripture we read is going to use the word tribulation. I think it's talking about the same thing. It says... And not only that, but we also glory in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now I see a cycle here, right? So a tribulation or a trial comes our way. And that trial is meant to teach a lesson for us to persevere or to endure. And that endurance causes us to grow in our Christian conduct. Our character gets stronger. And as a result of stronger character, we hope more fully in God's plan. And so here's, even though uh, the scripture kind of leaves it at that, I'm going to do one more arrow. And after we have grown and in our hope, What happens the next time we go through a trial? What happens after you have successfully uh, had an opportunity to persevere and then grow as a person and then put your hope in God? What happens when the trial comes back? It's easier to endure. What happens when you don't have the opportunity to grow and the trial comes back? It's just as hard, if not harder. Is God involved in that? Yes. Yes. We talked about that some this morning about be careful what you pray for because it just might come true. You ask for patience. So what are you given? You're given a tribulation. Something or someone is brought into your life and suddenly this trial is it's causing you to have to endure something. Maybe this is a person that's causing sorrow or pain and you have to grow as a person. Your character gets stronger because you have a stronger sense of hope in God and now you're dealing with this person because you have sympathy for them or empathy for them and you're better able to handle that trial let's read over in the book of James James chapter 1 it's on page 1849 in your pew bible right at the beginning of the letter please James chapter 1 verse 2 here the bible says My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Let's pause there for a second. Here, the Bible writer is telling us to be joyful when we fall into trial. Are we to be joyful in temptation? I don't think so. I don't think we're to be joyful when we're tempted. But we are to be joyful whenever we're tried. Why? Why are we to have joy? Because we know in verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So it's another example of this process where God can be involved in trials. And I think also there are trials of life where maybe they're not from God. But he can be involved in trials. And this is intended to show us a way to draw nearer to him. But let's go back to temptation. Is God involved in those? Is God inflicting us with thoughts to fall from grace? Well, we can read about that in verse 12. We're in the same chapter. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Just as this temptation. Cycle or uh, line takes place, the natural progression goes from desire to sin to death. Friend, I have one more thing about this before we move on to that last scripture to say. Is it wrong to be tempted? Is it sinful to be tempted? And, and when I say tempted, what I mean is a choice is put in front of you. Think about it like a scale. And you've got on one side the choice of Obeying God, and the other side is the choice of disobeying God. And what a temptation does is it unfairly makes that disobedience look better. It's put something special, razzle-dazzle on here, that says, hey, it's actually better to disobey God. As one brother told me, the devil always takes more than he gives. And he may promise, but he always takes more in the end. And I would just suggest to you that even though all of us are tempted, may we not feel guilty to think, oh man, I'm being tempted. I have this desire and those are wrong. Because you know what? Jesus was tempted. As the book of Hebrews says. He was tempted in all ways that we are except without sin. And so when this starts, just remember that when desire comes into the mind, Jesus has been in that frame of mind as well, where desire came in. He was able to overcome and you can overcome, too. It is possible through Christ to overcome. We don't have to go down this road once temptation starts. We can choose to walk away. Why? Because God promised we can. Because he promised there is a way of escape there's a way out of it, it may be hard, it may be costly, it may sacrifice something, but God's promised you that even though you're desiring or being enticed, you can let that go and walk away. This is part of the freedom that comes in Christ. So rejoice when you go through a trial. And when you're tempted, give it over to God and flee, run from it. Now here's my last question for today. Why would we be given more than we could handle? And why should I want that? Do you want it? Do you want to be given more than you can handle? I know I'm not going to ask you to answer, but some of you may say, nope, I do not want to be given more. I'd like to just cruise control my way all the way to the promised land. You want to be given more than you can handle. At least I think you should. And here's why. Go with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we'll read a few verses there, and then I'll offer an invitation. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it's page 1771 in your pew Bible, if you want to follow along. And first, I want us to look at a scripture that really uh, describes God in a specific way. If you look at chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, I believe, the word comfort is used 10 times. And that should be a big red flag. As we read, there's a big red flag that goes off that this is important. So we're going to read part of it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Isn't that great? But there's this cycle that comfort comes from God. It's given to those who are in the middle of a trial so that whenever you endure and overcome, you're tasked to comfort the next person going through the trial. And so it just goes and goes and goes. There's times when you comfort. There's times when you need to be comforted. So why should we be given more than we can handle? Why do we have to endure loss of loved ones? Why do we have to be, uh, to go through excruciating pain even though we have Christ? Well, we're going to read it in just a minute. And it's verses 8 through 11. But I would just say this, and maybe I should have said it earlier. The phrase... God will never give you more than you can handle, I think is a dubious phrase. It's subtle. But I think what it does is it makes people feel guilty unnecessarily. As though if you're going through a trial, you better just suck it up because God will never give you more than you can handle and and you've been given this for a reason. Whereas this person who's never gone through it, well, God knew they couldn't go through it so he just gave it to you instead. I don't think that's the way the Bible operates. Why are we given more than we can handle? Verse 8. We do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves But in God, who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us, you also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Paul was given more than he could handle. Whatever happened that caused him to write this episode to the Corinthian people, he said... We despaired even of life. And it was at that moment when, when our knees buckled, so to speak, when we were given more than we could handle, that we were able to say, I can't do this on my own. I need help. I need God. And when he recognized that, God delivered. And he uses it in the past and the present and the future. He delivered us and He is delivering us, and He will continue to deliver us. Notice that there are people who are involved in this deliverance. It says in verse 11, and I bring this out because we just talked about it this morning, you are helping together in prayer for us. So here's this man who has given more than he could handle, who's recognizing, I can't do it on my own. And part of him recognizing that is giving it over to God so that God can deliver him, but also as a group of people who are praying for him to overcome and to hang in there. And so I I leave you with this simple thought. God does give us more than we can handle so that each one of us can recognize as we rightly should, I can't do this on my own. I can't get through life on my own. I can't get through... These trials on my own. Why? He who thinks he stands needs to take heed lest he fall. And we have to realize that we weren't intended to bear every single boulder of life on our own. We were meant to give it to God and be delivered by him and have brethren who can pray for us as we go through those things. And I bet I could go through and and give everybody an opportunity who's been through a major loss I bet I could. And every single, every single one of you would likely say, I didn't know how I was going to get through it. In fact, I didn't think I would. But through the power of God and brethren, I was able to overcome. And that's the recipe for this. God does give us more than we can handle so that we can lean on Him and one another. Thank you very much. Thank you for the, the privilege to come and preach for you for several occasions. I hope that these studies are helpful. And, um, you know, the, the lasting gift of, of preaching, besides getting to share the gospel with people and helping bring hope to a lost and dying world, when it comes to edifying brethren, uh, the gift of preaching is the next time you read the Bible. And So the next time you read in Second Corinthians 1 or 1st Corinthians 10. If you just have one of those oh, Yeah. Now that makes sense. That's the gift of preaching is to help brethren better appreciate and understand the Bible. And I hope that this meeting has been encouraging and helpful in that way. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information